Fantasy NBA Hybrid Podcast brought to you by Michael Kimball, Jalen Utsi, and tonight we have an extra special guest, Sandra Marchetti. Uh, she is the author of uh, many essays and poems about different sports. We're going to start with some basketball poetry, but we may move on to some tennis poetry, some baseball poetry. I think we're going to talk about some essays here. So, um, Sandra is the author of Confluence. It's a full-length collection from Sundress Publications. She's also the author of four chapbooks of poetry and lyric essays. Sandra's poetry appears widely in Poet Lore, Blackbird, Echotone, Southwest Reviews, Subtropics, and elsewhere. I would also say check out the all of the baseball work at Hobart, which I enjoyed a great deal. Her essays can be found at The Rumpus, Fansided, Mid-American Review, Barrel House, Pleiades, and other venues. She currently serves as the poetry editor for River Sticks Magazine. Thank you, Sandra, for joining the Shot Tower Pod. This is wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. So you just published a piece that uh, we very much uh, be uh, liked and, and read here at the Shot Tower Pod. It's called Winter Wednesday. It's at Head Fake Hoops. And I'm hoping you will read it for us. I'd love to read it. This is my first foray into writing basketball poetry. Um, it's a sonnet for anybody who cares or wants to know. And um, I'll just it's a little nostalgic for me, so I'll, I'll go ahead. This is Winter Wednesday. I looked forward to warming up a chicken pot pie, sinking low into my chair, and falling asleep to the fading tick of a bull's third quarter. Lowry misses another three, and Zach bangs his beautiful head on his palm in frustration. Leading a comeback, no one will believe in. It's easy to love someone who isn't going anywhere. Now I stand in front of the TV and watch Zoe sling it faster than Arenado and wait until halftime to pee. Wow. Thank you so much for reading that. I'm actually going to ask for a weird request. Would you be willing to read it again? I feel like I, mm -hmm. I, I, when I've taught poetry in the past, I always say that a poem sort of reveals itself to you as you read it out loud. And I think upon the hearing you read that for the first time, I heard the, the metrical rhythm so much better than I did just reading it on the page. Um, and some of the rhymes, too, um, were just, they really stood out there. Bangs his beautiful head, uh, that mix of alliteration and rhythm there. So, yeah, why not read it again, if you don't mind? Sure, this is what my husband asked for. He asked me to read it again and again. I think that with metrical poetry, you really do, like, it's so much better if you read it out loud. It's a more of an effort for the reader, but you get more. Uh, Winter Wednesday. I looked forward to warming up a chicken pot pie, sinking low into my chair and falling asleep to the fading ticks of a bull's third quarter. Lowry misses another three and Zach bangs his beautiful head on his palm in frustration. Leading a comeback, no one will believe in. It's easy to love someone who isn't going anywhere. Now I stand in front of the TV watching Zoe sling it faster than Arenado and wait until halftime 
to pee. Thank you. Thank you so much for indulging me and reading it again. And I totally recommend anyone who's interested to go and read the poem on the page um, or on the, your computer screen at uh, Head Fake Hoops because there are some wonderful line breaks in the poem as well um, that you'll be able to pick up on. So since we have you here, um, I have so many questions. Uh, what, uh, what drew you to writing this poem? What was the inspiration for it? And then maybe as a second question, uh, what made you want to uh, turn it into a sonnet? Well, I guess what I'll say is this is a true story. I usually tell students that poets can lie too, even though poetry is in the nonfiction section at the library. Um, but this is a true story. I mean, this is about me. I, uh, my husband was in the hospitality industry for a long time and he would work very late. And I've been, I mean, inexplicably, Weirdly, I've been watching the Bulls for the last three years when they've just been absolutely awful. And I, I would come home, I'd warm up a frozen dinner, I'd fall asleep in the easy chair once the game was out of reach. And I wasn't even, I wasn't even able to stay awake if I wanted to, you know. But these are the images I remember seeing, right? <laughs> this is all, it, it's true, you know. And, and it was, it was very hard. It was very hard, especially the last couple of years, I would say to watch Zach searching constantly for shots. He's an amazing shot maker, but just no one else was following him along to try to win these games, right? He, <laughs> he's, he's got a double team in front of him and, and you know, they uh, push it out to Lowry and he's like a piece of wood out there. He, he can't move it. And I mean, these are, the, these are the images that I remember. So, and then this is also really true, kind of the, the transformation at the end, you know, I come home and I watch the Bulls now and I, I don't want to, I, I want to watch every second of, second of the game. I want to wait until I actually have a break to go to the bathroom. I used to grade papers like this. I would grade and grade and grade and ignore a bathroom break. So this is a theme in my life, but I, I don't want to miss one of these amazing passes or, you know, I, I don't want to miss a steal. Um, it's an exciting team that thrives on fast breaks as we know so I you know it's just enjoyable to watch and to see the team building and coming together early in the season so I think yeah that was that was the inspiration and you know showing my husband who's not a big sports fan these YouTube videos of uh, Lonzo passing and Arenado throwing um, you know jump throws from third base or being basically in foul territory throwing to first base and getting runners out and he's like oh I can kind of see the metaphor now between the two just doing <laughs> ridiculously athletic things and having this great vision and timing you know so um I think as an as a baseball fan and a baseball purist I had to get some baseball in there but um you know the poem came from a pretty simple place I would I would say yeah, I mean, that's wonderful. Um, uh, and I mean, it's super, a super accurate description of Lonzo's, you know, I think the term for it is baseball pass, you know, in, yeah. in basketball, when, uh, yeah. when someone kind of throws it overhand, like the motion of a baseball yeah. throw. And I think one of the highlights of the season is was against the Mavs, where the game was kind of getting out of hand. And 
Uh, I think Zach Levine was upset about a non-foul call and Zoe threw a baseball pass to him. And I remember in my head the image of uh, Dwight Powell kind of pretending to try and like (laughs) steal the pass by clapping his hands above his head. Yeah, this is going to do something. Yeah, the Mavs seemed to have phoned it in by that point in the game. And then Zach did, I think he did a 360 and uh, talked some some mess to the ref on his way back to the bench. So yeah, that's a wonderful image. He got teed up, yeah. But we, yeah it's the highlight that is standing out in our memory too as something early in the season that's a victory and you can just see with a player like Zach you know kind of the idea of the past three or four years kind of falling off of his shoulders like it's a new sort of pressure now but the idea of okay you know I maybe don't have to do all of this myself like look at this person that's helping me and just like kind of that I deserve it you know so (laughs) I think that I think there's a bit of that in this poem and you asked about the sonnet thing you know for me, I guess I'm just not that much. Maybe I think Dora and I maybe have this in common. You're friends. But, um, you know, I'm sort of a, a, a weird neoformalist. You know, this poem's not an iambic pentameter, but it's got rhymes. It's 14, it's 14 lines long. And so for me, that's the sonnet, you know, and, and it's a love poem in a way. It's, there's a turn, there's a change between, yeah. you know, the, be, the beginning where it's just so boring and then the end where the anticipation but both of the things are love you know I think like watching the Bulls in 2019 you have got to love them to watch I watched all the, I watched 82 games in 2019 like holy crap you know but then also this year and it's a different type of love there's expectations now and that's why there's anxiety so I think that's why I'm I'm calling it a sonnet even though someone else might call me out on that no. I'm curious about the the names in the last bit. Were you always going to use Lonzo and Arenado there, or did you have Arenado after Good Lonzo? Um, you know, or something really, else, yeah. Let me tell you, this is a really good point that you picked up on. I wanted to use Matt Chapman, but I couldn't get the rhyme the way I wanted. And I really wanted there to be a zing. I wanted there to be those O's and the Z sound, obviously, uh, because that's what that pass sounds like. It's whizzing past your ear, you know, like it's it's like a zing. So I was like, oh, Matt Chapman. And plus, maybe Matt Chapman's not quite as cool. Um, yeah, he played agreed. for Oakland. And <laughs> no, less people know who he is, even though he's a wonderful third baseman. So that's why I cho- th- chose those names. I was looking at the rhyme. I had some different ideas. Lonzo was always going to be there. I wanted to somehow get uh, Damar in this poem, but it wouldn't work. So another poem for Damar will have to be there. <laughs> yeah, it would have been great to have DeRozan in the mix there. Uh, How did we miss it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I wanted to like do a couple more appreciation statements of about the poem before I ask my next question. But I mean... <laughs> Just reading the first line, I guess maybe as someone who's born in Miami and is not a huge fan of winter, that first line, I look forward to warming, uh, hit me well, hit me hard uh, here as it's it's cold. And then, you know, that line break of warming up a chicken pot pie. And then just the word choice of sinking low, you know, it, it gives such a like almost epic weight to this sort of simple act of sitting down in the chair um, to watch TV. And, you know, I think you know, poetry is all about making the the familiar strange and the strange familiar. And I think this poem does a wonderful job of that through its its word choice. You know, you you elevate these simple sort of mundane, um, you know, household activities uh, to a great level of interest in this poem. 
Um, and there was one other thing I was trying to point to. Um, oh, th- when when you say Zach Banks is beautiful head, I almost think of like a some sort of Grecian statue. Like I imagine Zach's head as almost made. <laughs> <laughs> uh, due, due it worked, right? We need to get the sculptors in on yeah. the basketball oh. responses here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Arenado is also a good choice um, because I think Matt Chapman and Arenado oddly went to the same high school. Yes. And yes. I think Arenado wow. was older. Yes. And so Chapman yes. kind of looked up to him in a way. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's yeah. a deep pull. That, no, but, but he's right. And I, I knew that too. And I, and I was thinking, oh, that's another poem, right? The Arenado Chapman poem that will not be a basketball will not be a basketball poem, but Zach has great cheekbones, so he would be wonderful to to do with marble. I think that would be a winner. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Jalen hit on something there that interested me, not only about Winter Wednesday, but about some of your other work I was reading. Hitting Partner comes to mind in this sense. Um, Cross Country does as well. Um, one's a t- Hitting Partner is a tennis poem. Cross Country is a baseball poem in part. Um, that's my lead up to saying I was struck by your language choices throughout your work. I've tried to write about sports lots of times and I'm terrible at it. Like I, I can get a little thing here and there, but I've just never felt comfortable with the language, the voice. I don't have a good explanation for it, but you hit on a set of language that at once seems every day in a sense, as, as Jalen pointed out, but it's always full of tremendous implication. How did you get to that spot as a writer? I, I will tell you something that I've told many students and nobody really wants to hear this, but like, <laughs> don't be afraid of being extremely sentimental. And I think sometimes we are so sentimental about sports. You know, we cry about sports. We watch these awful teams. We hope, we pray, you know I mean? And I think it almost can lead to like poems, like, like this poem is about my bladder being full for two hours. Like it's <laughs> funny, it's a funny poem. And like, sometimes that sentiment of like, this is so beautiful or this is so, um, this moment is so full of emotions. It's kind of funny. And like, just like letting yourself be over the top about it. And, and like, sometimes it's not, sometimes it doesn't become humorous, but just going there and letting the emotion go there. And I think a lot of people like, that's why I would not say, obviously I am not a sports writer, but I am a person who writes about sports or I'm, I'm a person who writes sports literature because with sports writing, I mean, obviously you're just, you're reporting the facts or you have analysis or you're thinking about it really rationally. But for me, I, I just go, like go there with the emotions. And like, sometimes it comes out and the, the, whatever is coming out is not great. But, you know, the thing about being a sports fan is that you, you get to give into these things. You get to be angry. My husband <laughs> right. says, I yeah. I yell at the TV constantly. He doesn't like it. He's like, why are you so angry about this? But we get to, and there are very few consequences other than maybe our blood pressure being a little high. So I do the same thing with the writing. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great way to say it. You get to, so why not? Yeah, there's almost no consequence. (laughs) You do go to these emotional places, but your sense of the language is understated in those places. And I think it allows that 
to do even more emotional work in the piece. Um, That's lovely yeah. to hear. Yeah, yeah, I would say too, I, I think that like with writing about sports, it's, it's easy to fall into that parlance of yeah. sports writing that we read so much <laughs> of and we listen to, you know, but also thinking about it as, okay, you know, what I'm watching here, I, I never... I always want to remember that I'm in awe of what I'm watching, um, even if it sucks. Um, but usually I write about good things. There's a couple poems I've, I've written about when the Cubs, the Chicago Cubs were really, really bad. But just the, the beauty of the thing and the thing that we get to enjoy and the show that these people are putting on for us and their amazing athleticism, like trying not to forget about that. And the place that we're in, you know, I think, there's I'm excited I'm going to go to a Bulls game in January and I'm just excited to be with 20,000 people again there's something beautiful about that the chorus of people that all want the same thing um we don't get to experience that ever when we're adults you know <laughs> uh, but going to a sporting event you get to feel that you're all vibing as one you know yeah 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 um, higher and sensibility yeah, and I, I something that came to mind is you you pointed out that the poem is a is a kind of love poem, and which uh, took my mind and my eye back to the line, "It's easy to love someone who isn't going." Um, and again, that just beautiful line break there, who isn't going anywhere, but this sense of like just loving someone because they're there and they're right there, and there, there's a comfort there. So um, I thought that was a wonderful line, and I don't think we usually share much many personal details uh, about ourselves on the Shot Tower Pod, but I did travel to New York recently. Um, in part uh, to go on a first date and the first date took place mm -hmm. at a New York's Knicks, New York Knicks game at MSG. So mm -hmm. um, I, it felt relevant to bring up as we talk about love <laughs> and the bulls and basketballs and a crowded stadium. I was listening to the podcast uh, today, your last episode where you were talking about, it was sort of almost like a, you know, romantic comedy feel right at the, and I yeah. can only, you know, Madison Square Garden, you're on a date, you're, you're at this basketball game, right? There's a real meet cute feel there. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I don't suspect that this is the case for you, but I, I do want to ask if you ever felt a kind of like fearfulness or hesitation to write about sports in the way that you do I think I don't know if you know Terry Horseman of the under review but uh, I do mm -hmm. a podcast with him and I was lucky enough to be published a couple times in the under review and he, he's talked about like uh, a hesitancy or resistance to embracing writing about sports even though he was always passionate about sports even worked um, in sports uh, briefly you know so uh, yeah just wondering if that was uh, emotion or feelings you wrestled with yourself yeah I would be interested if you know any more about why not to air his dirty laundry but <laughs> well I mean I guess I can speak for myself yeah. and say that like yeah. uh, as young writers I think we're always trying to glom on to a certain amount of validity and respect um, through our work and I think you know, I mean, there's a certain class of writer who is like sports ball. What is sports ball? Like, <laughs> yeah. what is this? Right. And yeah. it's like, okay, millions of people watch this all across the world. Like maybe you're the one or maybe no one's <laughs> weird or in the minority. Right. But like, clearly something is going on here that's connecting with people. Right. But there is a, there's that kind of emotion and sentiment out there. And then there's also just a sense of the same way, like 
you don't maybe want to write a love poem when you're a young poet or a young writer because you're not going to do it well. Yeah. And it's so try, yeah. it's so familiar in the same way. So I think those are the emotions that I have and I suspect Terry and others have about their hesitation to trying to write mm-hmm. about sports because they want to write, you know, capital L literature. Right. Yeah, for sure. This is my version of like genre writing, you know, that people say, oh, sci-fi or, oh, you know, you're writing about pop culture. Well, mine is sports. This is my junk food. But this is, you know, just as serious as any other poetry I I get to write. And I guess for me, I had to, when I first started writing, I had a book in me. Like when I first started writing my thesis in grad school, I had this book in me that was about my environment in the Midwest and a little bit of love. And once I got that book out of the way, I, this was the only time in my life I felt this, but I was like, I know exactly what the next project is going to be. And I have to do it, which was to write a book about um, the Chicago Cubs, my fandom, listening to baseball on the radio, uh, going to games with my dad and kind of how I structured it is, You know, I talked about all these stories that my dad has told me and all these old teams and then the lead up to them winning the World Series and other things going on in baseball at the same time. And I just had the, I've never had that where I had the vision for the book like pretty clearly and I was like, I just have to write it. And then I just wrote 60 poems for it. And, but then I got the muscle and it took a long time. It took seven years. So I'm not like saying, oh yeah, this was a done deal. (laughs) And it's still not published. So there you go. But like the muscle was there then um, to, to try to, to keep doing it. And I missed it. Like I found once I finished writing the poems for that book, um, which are you ever done? I mean, you know, I keep revising things and swapping them out, but I was like, I still want to write about this. You know, I want to write about sports during COVID. I want to write about basketball. One thing that happened to me was the last dance. Obviously, I'm sure you guys were raptured into it during COVID too. We were all watching last dance. And it was like this life buoy. You know, we had no sports. Everybody was like, oh God, the last dance is coming. We're going to watch it. We're all going to feel ameliorated. We're going to feel a little bit better, you know. And after I watched... um I was watching all the NBA, actually like the last three Bulls championships, they were airing them on cable TV here. And I was watching the 96 um, NBA finals with, you know, the Sonics and the Bulls and epic, you know, really epic camp and, you know, Gary Payton and all that. And I was just like, this is sustaining me right, right now. Like this is my touchstone to humanity. So I wrote an essay about Jordan in quarantine and how we really needed Jordan at that moment. And I was like, you know, I, I could continue with this. I, I, and this has really been my first opportunity to write about basketball since then. I think I'm rambling off the point, but I think for me, you know, I, it goes back to the thing that I was telling uh, Michael, which is that, you know, we get to write about these things. I had to get past, I had to write, um the thing that was maybe more expected of me first but then once I published that first book and it was out of the way I was like you know I have to do this this is the thing that really captures me and there most of my writer friend like my poet friends are, are not super interested in this other than the fact that it's different and they think it's kind of cool that I'm a girl woman 
publishing these things about sports. But all of my friends who are sports fans, a lot of them like these poems and they don't like poetry, which to me is, is wonderful. You know, so I have two, I have two, you know, kind of audiences for these and, and people seem to like them. So why not, you know, and it's just immediate, you know, it, to, to write a poem a week ago and then it's published and now I'm here. This is something in the <laughs> community that you can do. This is not something you can do within the typical literary academic community. So it's kind of fun in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, poetry is sort of, uh, poetry and poetry Twitter is sort of strange in this way, as you say, like a lot of your poet friends are not that interested in in the poems in outside of the fact that they're different, but so much of the sort of, I don't know, the literati of our day of contemporary poets have a basketball history from Natalie yeah. Diaz, um, yeah. you know, Ross Gay played football in college, but he's a big sports a big sports fan and a big basketball person, um, Terrence Hayes, um, so many others. I'm forgetting so many of them. So, I mean, um, yeah, there's certainly like a firmament. You know, the joke is if uh, if you're not in the jock to poet pipeline, like, are you even a poet these days? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, w I, w I wish I was hobnobbing with those folks more often. Um, <laughs> That, but yes, I've read many of their, you know, Natalie Diaz did a, a great compilation for Prairie Schooner, I think, a couple of years ago, sports poetry, and um, there are, there are books out there, you know, there's um, Feather, Featherproof Books had a um, book out a few years ago that's all found poems from press conferences and media after NBA games <laughs> and the wow. name's escaping me but it's really interesting and good and you know the, the outlets are out there and they're growing so um and they've been so supportive of what I do so I feel like the landscape of, of publishing is changing in some ways. You know, you couldn't write a sci-fi book and be taken seriously, so to speak, years ago, but now you can. Mm -hmm. Same with writing about sports. But there's also been a long history of of poets and and other people writing, and, and, you know, fiction, memoir, writing this. There's a beautiful long history. One of the books that comes to mind, uh, because it touches on some of your themes in a way, Donald Hall's uh, Father's Playing Catch with Son, do you know that yes. collection of essays yeah. just yes, a beautiful right. piece of work great doc mm -hmm. ellis essay in there but also mm -hmm. the stuff with his mm -hmm. father there's a ping pong essay in there that's fantastic mm -hmm. um any i'm just curious any other books that are favorites of yours or touchstones anything you go back to yeah i would say um i really you know <laughs> this sounds sort of um i don't know um maybe so somewhat simplistic but now i think it's been maybe 10 years or more that Hobart has been publishing baseball uh, work every April, um, the whole month of April. So yeah. I, I religiously read those things. And, and there are favorites that I have bookmarked that I always read. Um, there's an, a poet, I actually have this book right in front of me, um, Joey Nicoletti, who writes about, uh, writes about baseball and all of the poems in this recent collection are named after a different player. Um, you know, they're all, you know, Phil Rizzuto, Freddie Patek, just Dick Allen. So, um, nice. yeah, so there, there are other, pe there are definitely other people that I, that I look to. And I think I'm interested in 
you know, I, I think I've always read sort of <laughs> those long form essays in, in ESPN, the magazine, you know, sure. I think of the one on A-Rod or the one on HRO and just kind of the lyric quality of some of the stories that are so like inconsequential seemingly like um, about where Ichiro would go to play like a practice in Japan at this field with these people that he paid to like come and work out with him and you know different like these just like the the minuscule little stories that that for me is where it's at of course I I'm interested in the big narratives and the storylines and all those things but I'm you know for for the poems like you think about you know there's a poem in, in, that I wrote about Greg Maddox listening to his own games on uh, uh, audio recordings of them on, <laughs> and it's like what would be the point of that even you know like he can't see where the pitch is crossing the plate or any of you know <laughs> but but just he would love to listen to them and they would get him sort of hyped up you know feeling Uncle Mo that momentum like and it's just these weird little stories that stay with you and you're like that could be a poem you know it's it's not gonna be it's not gonna be about um somebody it may not be about somebody's MVP season it's probably about a moment you know poetry right. being the story of a moment so I, you mentioned having watched the Lance last dance that that sort of uh, turned you to writing about basketball a little bit more should we expect some poems about the last dance moments in there poor Scotty you know, Pippen and his new bio like <laughs> dude you've got to stay a little quieter I, I don't understand there's just been so much you know sports talk radio in Chicago they're they're baffled by Scotty so am I, I you know I I wish Scotty well um I re truly you know um Probably not, but I think as I continue, I, I could see myself writing more about this team that I'm watching now and, and also the contemporary game. I, I could see myself maybe writing about players of the past. I don't think I'm going to take on like the dynasty and, and write, a, write a book of poems about the dynasty. I don't, I don't know if I could do that justice, but you know, I, I think there's a poem in me about the last Bulls game I went to, I think was in 1998. And, um, you know, I remember I was 13, 12, 13 years old and Dennis Rodman's green head bobbing up and down the court. And that's about what I remember. But that memory is very strong. So I think that there might be a poem in there about that, but probably not a whole I, I hear, <laughs> his head moving through just reminded me of the tracking data stuff we were looking at Jalen from the Seth Partno discussion where you just see a little you see a ball <laughs> a dot <laughs> yeah dots on the screen uh, center of mass x points um but yeah I guess now would be a good time to transition and ask us uh, ask you to tell us a little bit about how you became a sports fan and your your fandom for the Bulls um, the Chicago Cubs and just sports in general. Yeah, well, so, you know, the book that I had in me about, you know, going to games with my father, um, I have been going to Cubs games since I was probably three, three years old. And we go to about eight to 10 games a year now. My father is a huge sports fan. He's not uh, so much an NBA fan, although I think he was more so in the past. And, um, but I just remember being a kid and the TV being on every night, 
tuned to a game and that was just the background noise of my childhood and my father and I most of our relationships (laughs) true I mean it was just on you know like a soap opera in the background or a classical music station on the radio you know and it was just um my father and I most I'm an only child you know I don't have any brothers or sisters and my father and I a lot of our relationship is built on talking sports um and you know today and the MLB hot stove is definitely a thing that's happening right now and just like we'll text each other back and forth about trades that are going on or free agent signings and just you know is this going to work for this team Fangraph said this about this guy you know so that's just that that's our relationship and I think for you know if we didn't have that my 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 father's pretty introverted if we didn't have that we probably wouldn't talk very much um and so so it's you know it's been a my entire life like I remember going to Cubs games when I was 13 years old and putting like getting interested in makeup and my father's like put the compacts down like we're watching the game you know so just in every different like phase of my life you know sports were there and um you know, I, I, I think I, I take pride in hanging in there. You know, I was watching the 2013 Cubs, the 2014 Cubs and the 2019 Bulls and, you know, not, I'm welcoming all bandwagoners, please come, you know, but, but for me, you know, that, that kind of background noise and, and, and history is just kind of, it's just kind of a part of me. It's probably part of the reason that I, a strong reason why I wanted to stay in Chicagoland was so I could continue to go to games and be with, you know, my father's in his seventies and just be there for that. You know, I wasn't going to move away because I mean, that's, we talk about it (laughs) in Chicago. The water cooler talk is sports. I used to live in Washington, DC. The water cooler talk is politics and one fit me a lot better than the other. Let's just, both are important. (laughs) One worked for me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think uh, we, we sort of been we've been talking about sports writing, you know, we're a basketball podcast. And, you know, we make an effort to like highlight really good sports writing that yeah. we enjoy often. Um, and we've got to make an effort to get some of the people that we do highlight on the on the podcast in the future. But um, something I wanted to ask, um, uh, have your to get your opinion on because you write about both basketball and and baseball and you're a fan of both. You know, I've seen conversations online where people describe sort of writing about basketball. You know, um, David Thorpe titled his book Basketball is Jazz. Right. And so there's this there's this idea that writing about basketball is is sort of. Um, I don't know. It's sort of like more Dolly dripping clock esque uh, weirdness, um, sort mm-hmm. of jazz improvisational type of writing. Uh, whereas there's something sturdier uh, about baseball that lends itself more to sort of like long, drawn out storytelling. Um, and I'm wondering if that's something that you sense either in your watching of the game or in your writing uh, about these sports. Interesting. Um... I think baseball writers, and I'm not talking about like the BBWA, you know, but just people who write about baseball are the fiercest and weirdest people. (laughs) 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 And I mean that as a compliment, like we are the, the purist camp versus the revisionist camp 
Um, you know, I love George Will because of baseball. And it's like, why would I love George Will other than <laughs> baseball? Right? Like we're, we're just, we're just weird. And I think uh, it has to do with the history. It has to do with the sport. You know, I think a lot about baseball in symmetrical ways. You play it by completing all steps around the diamond. Everything is in um, patterns of three, patterns of nine. Um, there's so much sort of God in baseball for me. I mean, I just see a lot of, you know, uh, Christian imagery and uh, church and you know, my favorite place, I have a poem about, you know, we're going to church on Sunday, but it's Wrigley Field, you know, it just feels that way, you know, you see the grass and the sky for the first time in the middle of, you know, the city, and it's just this beautiful, uh, it feels like Eden, you know, all of that, there's a great book by John Thorne, uh, Baseball in the Garden of Eden, um, and, uh, you know, I think that it is different, when I write about basketball now, I feel like since I've built up this sort of, you know, side hustle with, with the baseball stuff, I feel like the basketball stuff is super improv improvisa improvisational and fun. It's like there are no expectations, especially for me there. If you've read my baseball stuff, you're not like the basketball thing is different. It just feels like a fun sort of foray for me. And I do think, you know, I think what's so fun about it is that something could happen at any minute. You know, baseball's got the slow build. And that's what's so wonderful about playoff baseball is you're just anticipate the anticipation of the pitch. And it can get obviously with 162 and the pace of play argument, people want these games to go faster. I too would love to watch some two hour games <laughs> right during the regular season. But, but during the playoffs, just hanging on every pitch, the lights, the crowd, and you you feel that in baseball writing like there it's I try to actually write about the moment before things happen or the moment after not not the moment when it's happening but whereas with the basketball thing like I think about some, like Caruso or, or Lonzo's defense comes to mind it's totally improvisational they're they're sticking to you like a glove it's you know they're just making it up so that you can't score you know and I just feel like that that's kind of how my writing has gone so far as I, I am just sort of, I'm making it up as I go and I'm enjoying that. And I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of playing, uh, playing prevent a little bit. <laughs> so that's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. And your, your mention of God and sort of Christian imagery for some reason reminded me of Don DeLillo's path go at the wall which I sort of got obsessed with at some certain point during the pandemic and was just reading it over and over just I don't know that the strange mix of what was I guess like contemporary details of the time uh with into this fiction um uh, where there was this sort of we real element uh baked into the fiction and just the foreboding that was that was in the writing like I don't know I just became incredibly obsessed with it I have to read that. I've read some of his other work, but I haven't read that. Yeah, I think what is it the the preface to uh or uh in Underworld? The, yeah, I can't remember whether it was a prologue or a first chapter. Yeah, the, the, it's a, the it's a, prologue. It's a long, and it was published separately as a novella, um, but I think before Underworld, or it, maybe it could have been after. I can't remember which, but. Um, okay. 
yeah uh, and speaking of delillo has one of my favorite bits of sports writing ever uh it was his i want to say second novel under his own name i might have that a little wrong but it was end zone it's a it's a touch time bound uh in a sense but um it's a book I go back to every couple of years and still reread his sense of using football to great work in his narrative. He's just, mm. it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's really easily done. And he also published that book at a time where he could do some crazy stuff in the middle of the book. There's kind of a, there's a chapter that's, that's just play calls. <laughs> and the whole chapter wow. is play calls from an wow. important game okay. in the narrative. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is this this is some great stuff here. Um, I'm curious. Um, you know, I've always been struck by sports literature uh, within sports literature that baseball is easily the most written about sport. Absolutely. Are there any other sports that should be? The, the, you know, part of that's language, part of that's longevity, mm -hmm. part of it's probably a wealth assumption somewhere in there. Are there other sports with a set of language that you're interested in approaching or are there sports that are just severely, you know, underrepresented in sports writing? Yeah, I, I, I think there are. I know um, from submitting these sports poems for years that there are certain editors who are so inundated with baseball work that they'll say any like there's a contest out there I think sport literate has it that anything but baseball like yeah. we'll take anything from this contest but baseball because we really want to hear about these other things and yeah I do I think there's a tradition there I you know and yes I think there's some some equity things with who the fans are and why baseball gets written about so much but yeah I mean I have written a little bit about tennis my my husband was a um junior national tennis player ranked junior national tennis player in Australia and there's a Rowan Ricardo Phillips book that I have to read about tennis that I know is out there I just haven't gotten around to it um and I think I could see myself writing more about um tennis and and like my husband and I bizarrely are really well I already I always have been for a long time really interested in Olympic sports um and we've got two Olympics here yeah. you know like I just <laughs> they I was on a writing residency in Door County um during the some you know the summer Olympics that were postponed and then they were this summer and um that really got me through it like writing three or four hours six hours a day like that'll really that'll really sap your strength so by the end of the night I'd, I'd be watching the Olympics until two in the morning and um it just kind of gives you a little a little bounce back you know so I think um I think I think there are things that you know and maybe these sports kind of lend themselves to this more because they're sort of an artistry to them but they're still a sport something like gymnastics or figure skating or um speed skating or something like that I think there I think there's a lot of potential you know there there was a book that recently came out an anthology I I had a poem in uh called rhythm and rhyme and it was for high school student athletes and college student athletes and it had poems about just about every sport you know they did a really nice. good job of actually sourcing them um so I, th I think any sport has potential and I think like if the if the writer is passionate about watching that sport those sets of languages are those sets of language are great that's a poet's playground we used to call them language neighborhoods and now that strikes me sort of as um <laughs> classist 
when I was in my MFA, we, we would say, oh, that, that's an interesting language neighborhood to go into. But but just to get in there and get to play with those words and phrases. Yeah. And, you know, when you were talking about the play calls, I was like, I've always wondered what um, a hot topic of conversation in Chicago, of course, is, is Matt Nagy and, and firing Matt Nagy. So, um, but he has those big play play call sheets that, right. you know, we call them Denny's menus because they're <laughs> made of, nice. like the Grand Slam, he's ordering the Grand Slam breakfast. But I was, I always am like, I would love to get my hands on one of those and really see what it says and see what <laughs> I could do with those words. You know, it would be fun. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I'd I, love I to read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to say I wanted on record that I really love the um, Pete Rose and Ichiro meet in baseball heaven or at a card show poem. Uh, I love the ending of that poem. And Ichiro has like a special place in my heart. I don't know what it was. I mean, I, I, I guess I know what it was. It was Ichiro. You know, he was just, you know, magnanimous and uh, mysterious. Yeah, just yeah. Uh, lovable, you know, smiling, just super cool and obviously really great on the field. So I, he was someone, going against your analytics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he was someone who I loved, and I was obsessed with the idea that he could hit a bunch of home runs in a season if he wanted yes. to, because yeah. uh, that's what he did in batting practice. Uh, I remember he's one of the few players who I grew up in Miami when they would come to town, the Mariners, when with the Mariners, I'd be like, we have to go see, uh, I want to go see Ichiro play. And I can say I've gotten to see Ichiro play, I've gotten to see Barry Bonds play, uh, I've gotten to see Mike Trout play, but um to to return to basketball i i don't we don't want to let you get out of here without actually talking about this year's version of the bulls the bulls are back baby they're the currently they're currently number two in the eastern conference all coming off a win over the hornets last night so yeah talk to us about how you're feeling about the bulls this year um are we thinking first round exit are we thinking surprise conference finals <laughs> appearance what's gonna happen well, you know, I mean, I think we've, we, as you guys have detailed on many of your, your podcasts here, we've got the Bucks, we've got the Nets, we've got other teams to contend with in the Eastern <laughs> Conference. I'd, I'd like to see them win a first round series, and I think they're probably capable of doing it. I'd like, I'd love to see them be like the fourth seed. I think that would be a great accomplishment. Um, you know, I, I'm enjoying watching them. I don't know, like, I mean, at the beginning of the season, they, they flashed a really high ceiling in the first few games. I mean, they were playing Detroit twice. I know one of you is a Detroit fan, so I don't. <laughs> yeah, it's a rough road. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, you know, and then I think there's been some team building. I think they're really trying. It's, it's difficult, right? They've got three guys who have all been a number one option, and they're all trying to kind of, you know, obviously, Jamar and, and Zach can get their own shot, but with Vooch, there's been a lot of talk in town about, you know, running, running plays for Vooch. Should we get, we, do we need more post-ups for Vooch? And he had a great game last night. I mean, he scored yeah. 30 points. He had 13 or 14 rebounds. Um, so I'm hoping he's gelling. I'm hoping that that's, that that's working. And, and if so, like what I really like about the team is they can, obviously the defense is, is polished already. I heard um, Lonzo talking about, you know, what he learned um, from some of his former teammates, both in LA and, um, and with the Pelicans about defense and um, also obviously Caruso. I think that they're just so intelligent defensively. Um, and it's a unique 
sort of defense too. Like we have, they're bigger guards on the team. Obviously the size is kind of an issue, especially when Vooch was out with COVID, right? Like we're playing these small ball lineups with Derek Jones Jr. But I mean, lots of players that are high energy and also all business. They seem very dedicated. Like Zach was sick. He didn't look right last night. He still scored 25 points and he played over 30 minutes of the game. Like how, you know, um, and I'm not glorifying that like, oh, we should all play sick. But, you know, they, they seem to very dedicated to the task this year. I know Damar is playing like 35 minutes a game. I'm like, good Lord. He's a guy's over 30. Let's get him some rest. It's the first couple weeks of the season. But, you know, they, they seem out. I, and I understand, like, I think with a guy like Caruso who didn't get paid by the Lakers and, you know, like they're out to prove that they can do this, right. They, that they can be competitive without maybe their wingman at their last stop or, you know, on their own in a new place and, and they can be the ones. And, and that really, there's a lot of parallels, I think, to the 2016 Cubs in a lot of ways, not that they're going to go on to win the finals, but just this idea that, you know, we're not going to let the pressure, Joe Madden's phrase was like, don't let the pressure exceed the pleasure. You know, I think that they know, like, they know the history, they know their own history, they know this team hasn't won in a while. But instead of letting that get to them, I think that they're, they're playing with a lot of focus and, and they're up for the challenge to actually kind of give the franchise some uh, hope and life. So, yeah, I mean, it was a good game last night and I think there's definitely hope there. I, I watched, um, especially some of those early season games where they were just hitting on all cylinders yeah. in in those games. And I've been struck uh, recently on Twitter and, and other venues, a lot of different sports journalists have been throwing up replays of their defense. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not like there's all the fast yeah. break stuff and the dunks and we yeah. see all of that stuff. Yeah. I've been noticing this recurrence of de- mm-hmm. and to, to just to watch the five move in concert with each other. Mm-hmm. It's that defense on a string, on a line, whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. They're wonderful at maintaining their shape and they play with an intensity that hasn't been seen in Chicago since um yeah, the, the last yeah, dance. Right, <laughs> I don't even want to say it, right? But like, yeah, I think that is a big thing because we always talk about defense being all about effort. Now, of course, it's about skill and anticipation too. But I see them, you know, we talk a lot about ball movement and player movement on the offensive side, but it's they're really good at anticipating on the defensive end, you know, and just all the steals, Caruso's leading the league in steals, uh, Lonzo's right behind him, you know, they, they have tons of steals and that's what's leading obviously to all those fast break points that are fun to watch. Um, but just the anticipation of the ball and you see these players that need rhythm dribbling or they need to somehow kind of get, and our, our defense is somehow not letting them get into a rhythm. If they're high dribblers, that ball is gone. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. You said something that I wanted to return to. Um, you said that the defense is sort of built differently, and I think that's that's very accurate. Like, I think that's a very astute point. The defense is really built sort of on the perimeter rather than starting from the center position, this massive rim protector a la someone like Rudy Gobert or even Draymond Green, who's smaller but does the same function. Uh, they've sort of built the defense on the backs of Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso, and they sort of protected um, Mm -hmm. Vucevic by having these guards who 
Warriors just simply don't let your your offensive players get in the paint where Vucevic is not really a deterrent at all. So, I mean, that's really interesting. And it's it also works in a similar way where, you know, the the upper crust guys, the, the Rosens, the Vucevic and the Levines, they kind of have a lot to figure out in terms of, you know, is it your turn? Is it my turn? You know, how much am I going to have the ball? How many post-up touches is Vuce going to get? But the other guys are almost all in like the perfect position to succeed, right? Lonzo's mm-hmm. coming from a situation where he was asked to be more of a primary point guard and playmaker. And the reality is that's just not who he is. That's who his brother is, but that's not mm-hmm. who he is. Um, this mm-hmm. is much more, I think, uh, optimal mm-hmm. situation for him. And, uh, you know, I said this on Twitter. It just feels like he's back at Chino Hills playing with a super talented roster, doing a little bit of everything. You know, he blocked mm-hmm. Isaiah Stewart in a game. He's guarding mm-hmm. bigs on post-ups. Mm-hmm. He's running out. He's, he's, he's passing the ball. Obviously, we know he can do that really well. It just seems like he's back to being this sort of Swiss yeah. Army knife who doesn't have to score the ball that much. And it's a perfect role for him. It's a perfect role for Caruso. Yeah. It's a perfect perfect role for Derek Jones Jr., even someone mm-hmm. like Javante Green, like yeah. all of that seems to work perfectly. So if the top guys can figure it out, um, mm-hmm. you know, they could do something. What's great too is you can kind of see, first of all, I mean, I think if you were Zach, and I, I don't obviously don't know him or his personality, but like you could easily get into a sort, some sort of jealousy situation, but he's really seeming to adopt Damar as sort of the older brother. They share the ball well. When one is hot, they know that other one is hot. They're not trying to make shots. Like, yeah. you know, Zach out of desperation, making shots from everywhere. I think those days are gone. I think he's really, like, he can handle the basketball. We know he turns it over. Um, but him not having to handle the basketball as much has been great actually and people getting him shots has been great but if he has to there are so many ball handlers on this team you know and that's what's nice too is anybody can be a guard and and a lot of them can be forwards too there's just a lot of uh, they're big guards you know and which is helpful and there's a lot I mean we've really done a decent job rebounding I would say for the size issues that have been there you know, so we'll see how long that continues. But I think that a lot of it has to do with effort and vigor and, um, you know, just, just fun to watch for sure. Yeah, absolutely fun to watch. We are nearing the end of this episode of the Shot Tower Pod. And as our special guest, Sandra Marchetti, will you give us your last thoughts here on the Chicago Bulls? <laughs> or, um, or, yeah. or sports poems. Your pick. Okay. Well, I'm going to leave you with a couple of things. The one thing I want to mention is Ayo Desumu, right? Everybody uh, remembers him from being at Illinois. I've watched every Ayo Desumu game probably in the last 24 months. Um, And I just love how he's fitting in on the Bulls. I think he's been a great, people are saying steal of the draft. Who knows? What I love to see is the development in real time of a young player on a winning roster. We always talk about player, you know, the Bulls, like last three years has been all about let's develop these young players. Well, this is really the way to do it. It's like put him in a situation to succeed where he doesn't have to be the distributor, but he can do it if he needs to. And then also he's getting these like spot up chances for threes and playing great defense. So I'm, you know, obviously I'm a homer. I'm from Chicagoland, but I'm, (laughs) really enjoying the IO fit and sort of the luck of him falling into our laps. And, 
with Kobe White coming back, there's, you know, his minutes have dipped a little bit, but Kobe is necessary too. We need that scoring. We'll see if he gets off the ground. So those will be some things to look for. They're playing the Knicks again. Every uh, Bulls-Knicks game gives me a little pitter-patter and a little heart attack. So I hope <laughs> we'll see. No Kemba Walker, I, I, I'm assured, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I don't think Kemba's helping anybody right now. No, I don't think so. I don't but think so. But Io has a future. He's earning minutes on that team with a lot mm-hmm. of other good players around him. Yeah. Him developing over the course of the season could help uh, this playoff run, I'm hoping they have. I agree, and I think he's just such a great option. He's playing two ways, and he's fitting right in and learning things. He's, you know, You'll hear him in press conferences say, well, I saw Alonzo do that, and so I thought I'd try it. And then he's successful. It's like amazing. <laughs> you know, you're like, mm, I wish I could be as talented as you. And I guess my last thought about um, writing is I have to mention um, this man, Andrew Forbes. I, you were asking me before about people who are sort of touchstones for me. And this book, The Utility of Boredom, which is a book of baseball essays, I mean, has really informed my style. This book came out with Invisible Publishing a few years ago, and he has a second volume of baseball essays because him, like me, we couldn't stop doing it. But um, if you're looking for something that's a little bit, you know, how could you not be romantic about baseball? That's sort of my catch line. I, I feel that extends to other sports too. This is this is a great book to pick up and, you know, um, great. really a touchstone for me, so. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Rack. That is Sandra Marchetti author of Winter Wednesday, which is up at Head Fake Hoops right now. I would also say check out her work at Hobart, which is mostly baseball-based. A wonderful poem uh, that uses the language of tennis called Hitting Partner. And um, maybe her favorite poem of mine from the Hobart site, Cross Country, had a line I just wanted to call out, whenever I fly, I search for the baseball diamonds. And it does a thing, that poem does a thing that a lot of Sandra's work does where she's working with this image, but the thing that happens in your head is big and grand, like a baseball stadium, like a basketball arena. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful device she uses and, and just sort of sends a little chill through your body when you hit those spots. So uh, Sandra Marchetti, that is this episode of the Shot Tower Pod. We are turning off the phantom power. Cheers. Run it, run it, run it, run it, run it, run it.